It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Wine Times, brought to you in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club with me, comedian and wine novice Susie Ruffle. And me, Will Lyons, the Sunday Times Wine Columnist and Vice President of the Sunday Times Wine Club. Throughout this series, we'll be joined by a handful of your favourite celebs for some good wine and some great times. As always, I'll be sharing my expert wisdom on all things grape-related, from the history of vineyards across the globe to the science behind your favourite wines. And I will take on my favourite role as apprentice of wine, voice of the people, as I inquisitively ask the questions we're all thinking, like, why is it frowned upon to store red wine in the fridge? Well, Susie, actually, you can actually store Will, Will, save it for the podcast. When will he learn? Today, we're sat at the top of News UK's tower, looking out over London with a live audience, ready to sip the wine and, of course, have a good time. Discussing and decanting with Susie and myself today are broadcasters Jane Garvey and Fee Lover. Yes, Jane and Fee have been chatting on our airways for three decades now with radio shows across the BBC. And earlier this year, they were welcomed onto Times Radio with a shiny new afternoon show wedged in between Mariella Fostrop and John Pina. Not to mention they are authors of their best-selling book, Did I Say That Out Loud?, and host a daily podcast off-air with Jane and Fee. Luckily for us, they were happy to join us straight from their Live Times radio show for a tipple or two. Hello, Fee and Jane. Hello. Hello. Thank you for asking us. Yes, thanks for coming down. It doesn't get better than this, does it? No, it doesn't. What are we, Monday night? Monday night. Monday night, drinking wine above the news building. It's very nice. The Monday night club. It's what we always dreamt of. Yeah. (laughs) All those years toiling at the BBC, what we really wanted to do was sit here and drink wine with a load of nice people on a Monday night. Absolutely. Worked together. Well, like that business of decades I could have done without Susie. Sorry. Today, but although it is decades, we haven't worked together for decades. Mm. We were, what, could you say, how were we put together by the BBC? I think they just needed a couple of middle aged women to make a podcast. <laughs> and we were literally just standing there like spare parts. Those <laughs> no, and oh, all. those two, that'll do. Yeah, what about those two? Yeah, they'll be all right. And it was pretty much that, wasn't it? It was. We hosted the radio festival, which is our industry's annual shindig back in the day up in Salford. And I think we were the first women to ever host the festival, and this was 2013. And right. it came as an enormous shock to an industry where, you know, bearing in mind half the audience is female, that two women might be vaguely entertaining as hosts. <laughs> so from vaguely entertaining, I think there was a commissioning editor in the room who thought, oh, they're quite funny doing this, uh, so let's put them together 
and send them off to do a podcast. But Jane's right, it was very early doors in the podcasting world. And we yes. were a bit canaries down the mine shaft, just, mm-hmm. you know, we'll put them out there, see what happens. Uh, and then fortunately just kind of uh, took off, really. Yeah. And that's our previous podcast yes, in yes. our pre-Times life. Yes, yes, of course that happened, but yes. we don't need to focus on it anymore. No, we don't at all. <laughs> like, embarrassing <laughs> uncle, he's gone now. And we're here. Yes. Do you both enjoy a glass of wine? Well, um, <laughs> that's actually slightly, it's not tricky territory. Um, I would like to drink more wine, but I just cannot process it. I'm really sorry, Will. I, no, I can have usually one contrast. glass and then I'm just about done for. She really is. And if it's red wine, I just get a pounding head, a headache after a couple of mouthfuls. But I write about this a lot in the column. Okay. I've reached, I'm 46, so I've reached middle age and my palate has definitely changed. Certainly when I was first getting into wine in my 20s, I did a lot of book learning, and I love the big reds, those power, you know, lots of primary fruit, that subtle sort of high alcohol wines. Now I'm much more, I, I, I probably drink more white wine than I do red wine. I think your palate changes, but also I think you'll have a lot more responsibility in later life. So as I was saying earlier, I think if you're, you know, if, if you're really busy, it's nice to sort of wind down with a glass or two, but you can't obviously overdo it like you did in no. the 20s I mean, and I, 30s. Maybe. I <laughs> grew up with my grandmother in the home and she was well into her 80s and boy, could that woman put it away. Uh, and she was about, I think she was about four foot ten. You know, she was a minute woman, but I, she really had drinking boots and I obviously gave her a great deal of enjoyment and I just, I want to be her, but I don't feel I'm ever going to be her actually. I just seem to be the sort of person who just gets really affected by alcohol. And I've been searching my whole life for the drink that I can enjoy that doesn't give me a banging hangover. Can you help me, Will? It's water. Is it water? (laughs) (laughs) Terrible feeling. Even I can't keep up with that generation. My mother-in-law is 84. I stay with her for a week in the summer. And come 12 o'clock, she always is mixing a G&T. And it was a comical moment this summer where the only thing we had in the fridge, I don't know where it came from, but it certainly didn't come from me, was a, a can of Stella. And I walked out and she was, I'm on the Stella, drinking from the can. <laughs> because at 12 o'clock she must have a drink, and then at 6 yeah. o'clock it all happens again. Yeah. And she gets up in the morning. But do you think it does come, that ability to drink more, do you think it comes back in old age? Are we well just be. passing through a particularly kind of sensitive middle-aged time? <laughs> well, possibly. Why, someone's I'm laughing probably, at the yeah, notion of us being sensitive. Yeah. I'm probably not the best person to ask as someone who drinks probably wine every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I do think as you get older, stay hydrated, and as they do in Italy, drinking mm. wine with the meal is, is a good idea. What are we starting with? Well, what are we all starting have with? Everyone tonight? got a glass of wine. In front yes, of everyone's good. got a glass. Okay, so we're starting yeah. in Italy, and we have a wine here that I think. Well, I was saying to Jane earlier, you may have heard of it. It's a Garvey de Garvey. So Italian wines are incredibly complex. <laughs> I think Hugh Johnson said that it, you know trying to understand Italian wines like mapping the inside of a beehive. But there are certain wines in Italy that we've all heard of, like Suave, Prosecco, um, Chianti. Mm. And I'd probably put Garvey de Garvey in that. So we're in Piemonte. Thank you. So northwest Italy. There's a great variety called Cortez. And this had tremendous commercial success in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, Garvey de Garvey. It's known for its sort of citrusy, light. Oh, it's um, very fruity. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fruity and aromatic. I mean, this isn't really a natural wine for a December day when it's freezing cold outside. Yeah. 
This is the first wine of the night when you're on your Tuscan holiday or your holiday in South France. And I think, you know, you've just had a shower, you come, you put on your best, your sort of relaxing clothes, and you come out for the, the, the evening, and you're just going to have a sneaky glance in your room or on the terrace or wherever you are just before supper. And this is the wine you want. I'm in a caftan already, Will. <laughs> I really am. The view's sensational. It's a slightly kind of dusky evening. Yeah. It's beautiful, actually. So would this yeah. be a drink that you would happily have without food? You're saying it's a bit more than a Maybe a glass. Yeah. yeah, maybe a glass, and then you could... Um... But you want to know that dinner's on its way? Yeah. Mm. Well, we always want to know that. Soon, yeah, don't we? and we yeah. don't want to be cooking it, much more importantly. Yeah. Mm. Fee, are you, are you someone to have a glass of wine at home? So I, a little bit similar to my colleague here, have lost the ability to, uh, to really drink. Uh, I did really used to like a glass of wine, mm -hmm. you know, back in my 20s, but well, that is quite a long time ago now. <laughs> That's three decades ago now. Uh, but I've become an enormously uh, big fan of Carver, and I'm interested to see Will's reaction to that because I think somebody just laughed openly in my face when I said that <laughs> I like before. Somebody just did it here. And I don't know what to make of that really well because I just enjoy the, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I, I find it a kind of quite a sharp drink, quite enlivening. Yeah. And, you know, a decent glass of that really on an evening. So Carver gets such a bad rap. It does, so doesn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, why is that? Because I like it too. Well, it's, it's obviously, let's just rewind it. So it's made in Spain in the same way as champagne. So you have a secondary fermentation in the bottle. So a lot of care mm. and craft goes into making carver. Different grape varieties from champagne. I always think it has more of a savoury, nutty character than champagne. The reason I think, is only my own personal opinion, why it gets a bad rap is because they chase the sort of supermarket crowd in the 80s and 90s. And as soon as you go down that sort of discounting, you, you, you can't sort of claw your way back. It's a little like the English um, sparkling wine industry at the moment, in that it, obviously it, it, um, English sparkling wine is quite expensive, but I think you need to keep it there because once you start discounting, it's very hard to sort of then throw off the shackles. People think it's a, a, a cheap product. Well, how much do you pay for an English, a good English sparkling 35 wine? 35 pounds a bottle. 35 pounds? 30 to 35 okay. pounds. Right. But, it's, but, but a lot of craft goes into that. You have to grow the grapes and make it have a secondary fermentation. So coming back to your question, yes. Carver is the insider's choice. Oh, good. The, the, the sort of oh, I think it's great. Phew, it's great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we had a Carver today, didn't we? As you, as you came in, we had a Carver. I find it a little yeah. less claggy than champagne. And yeah. I, that's a, a sentence I never really thought I'd say, Will, but I've said it now. I know people like to hear you say it. I'm pleased I was here to witness it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's lots of different styles of champagne. Will there be a time in your lifetime when we could do wine, wine? Well, very good question. We are living through the great English wine boom of the 21st century. We now have around 900 vineyards and 157 wineries. I say that because we have more vineyards in England than we do in Napa Valley, which is incredible. And are there going I'm to be loads speaking. more vineyards popping up around the country. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. So we, it started in Sussex. Now we have vineyards in Dorset, Devon, uh, Berkshire, Oxfordshire. And I think the other thing that we're, we're, that's going to be really good in England is wine tourism. Because like Champagne grew up around the prosperity of Paris, we, have, we, we, we still have the world's largest financial centre behind us. And we're incredibly thirsty in this country. 
I mean, we, it, it, basically, we're the number one market for Prosecco. A couple of years ago, we drank more champagne than the whole of North America. I think they've just reached parity with us now. And it's incredible. We drink a lot of Carver. We drink a lot of English sparkling wine. We drink a lot of Cremont. We know what we're good at. <laughs> on. But if you look at this, if you look at it, you've got things like horse racing, weddings, everywhere. It's just like open up the bubbly, isn't it? Should we move on to wine too? So we are leaving Italy. So we're Thank crossing you. the Atlantic. And we're going to the sunny state, California. Now, this, we've had this one on the podcast before, and it's one of my favourites. 6,000 miles across the Atlantic. Here we are. Very good. I think, the, I think the thing we can all agree on <laughs> is you can't make any generalisations about California. It's so vast and so different. I was there in March, and I drove up from San Francisco through Napa up to Sonoma. And as you go, you just go through lots of different microclimates. And I think when I got up to Sonoma, it's all sort of small homesteads with giant redwoods and green wooded valleys. I stopped at Bodega Bay where the birds were spot. Um, but we're in, the, we're, we're in the Central Valley. So we're sort of um, southwest of Napa and Sonoma. So we're west of San Francisco. We're drinking a, a Pinot Noir. What do you think? I think that's lovely. Really, yeah. really yeah. lovely. And it smells a bit, uh, smells a bit charcoal-y, doesn't it? Oh, do, do you like that? that tasting. Yeah, so that's very good. Would you have that with a big, lovely piece of beef? I think I probably would. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The fruit here is from an area called Lodi, which is um, actually one of the bread baskets of America. I think they grow lots of nuts there. Lots of fruit. It's a big agricultural area. And actually, it's known, it's famous for Zinfandel, which is a big, pungent red wine. And they only have a little bit of Pinot. Who was the most famous wine lover you, you shared a glass with? He must have at the BBC. Had, sorry, I shouldn't mention him. We have no fun place. at the BBC at all. <laughs> well, no, I mean, Fee knows I've very recently had dinner, oh, no, not dinner, lunch, I wish it had been dinner, uh, at the Ritz with Ken Follett. Ooh. I know, who's a fabulous writer and incredibly successful. And it was all slightly complicated date set up by, well, it wasn't a date. Ken's very happily married. I need to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was the you heard it here first. Someone tweet it. By, <laughs> no, absolutely not. By a listener to our podcast who had heard me going on about Ken Follett's thrillers, which became a little bit of a talking point, unfortunately, our previous podcast. Um, and there are all sorts of good things about Ken Follett's books. And there are some quite funny things about the way he describes a woman's, a woman's breast through time, for example, which Fee and I would occasionally take issue with. And we'd attempt to read out some of his descriptions of, of bosoms through a woman's lifetime. Um, yeah, and <laughs> anyway. Back, back on track. <laughs> yes, back right on track. Um, <laughs> um, a listener saw advertised um, a chance to have lunch with Ken Follett uh, at the Ritz with all the with the money going to charity. And this fantastic woman bid, I think it was, was it £2,000? I think it was a bit more, actually. And she's called uh, Veronica, isn't she? Veronica, Agent V. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she paid an incredible amount of money and couldn't, because I think she lives in Malaysia from memory. So she couldn't have the lunch. So I went in her place and drank the most fabulous champagne with Ken Follett. All afternoon at the Ritz. And that's what you drink, with champagne. Right the way well, I don't really, yeah, if I was course. going to be honest, my favourite drink, if I'm out for a treat, I would always just have champagne. Yeah. I think it goes with everything. Thank yeah. you, Will. <laughs> I mean, if I, if I were to do a podcast, it would just be called, why, you know, don't drink, don't bother with wine, just drink champagne. It goes with everything. Um, but I, you know, and I did have a most extraordinary hangover the next day. I wasn't fit for anything. But that's what I enjoy about drinking, is those fabulous 
lost hours that yes. you can spend in, in somebody's company. Mm. And Ken was a fantastic companion and just talked a great deal about the inspiration for his books and how he writes them. And, you know, it was, a, it was really brilliant. So I really enjoyed it. And I think lunch is it's, it's ideally suited for that. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Because you feel quite guilty that you're, you know, wasting away the afternoon. Yeah. Well, you're not wasting it. No, no, I certainly wasn't no, wasting it. Not, wasting. Sure not wasting. Didn't feel like a waste. Ken yeah. enjoyed it so much he missed his hair appointment. <laughs> but actually, I just think he got a bit tiny bit tipsy and forgot he was he had a hair appointment. But anyway, and we got weeks of material. We got out of it. loads of material. Out of that <laughs> so it was it was well worth. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Do you want to get us onto our next glass? Yeah, should we do and that then straight away? Uh, yeah, before we yeah. begin chatting, what have we got next? So we're going back to Italy. Good. Uh, we're going to where I think we should always go in a wine tasting. We're going to Tuscany, mm. that wonderful region between uh, Siena and Florence. Anyone's been there, it's magical. And we're having a wine which is, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Super Tuscans, but essentially, the, grape, the, the main grape variety in Tuscany is Sangiovese, which makes Chianti, one of the most famous wines of the world. And Sangiovese is a grape that has lots of sort of juicy, spicy character, lots of dried herb aromatics and cherry and red berry flavours. But this is blended with a little bit of Merlot, just to temper it. And it's always a very popular wine, this, I think. This is the uh, Saracosa Governo, so part of the grapes were left to dry, and it's to get more concentrated. That's, that gives it that, that sort of character. Does that make them more sugary? Yeah, and more fruit. And I mean, I think with Italy, you've got to start thinking about food. So we have to imagine we're having this with either crostini, small slices of bread with cheese and meats, or, I mean, wild boar. Who, who eats wild boar? Uh, any game. Actually, but can I just put my hand up? I went to Lake Como on holiday a couple of years ago. And I had probably the greatest meal of my life. I had wild boar risotto one evening. Oh, yes. And I am, I live with a couple of, well, one vegan child and a vegetarian. Um, so when I'm out, I just go mad for meat. This crazy <laughs> And I still think sometimes about that risotto. I remember, I mean, in Italy they do risotto so well. Oh, my God. It was yeah. just unctuous and... I just can't begin to do justice to it. I don't have the words. Do you have the words? <laughs> no, they're your words. You weren't there, actually. I think you should grapple with some wild boar in your local East West Kensington vicinity. <laughs> Bring them down, Jane. <laughs> wrestle with the wild boar. Okay, I'll see what I can do. It's a beefy one, this. Yeah. yeah. I quite like that one, actually. I can imagine eating that with a really good, strong blue cheese. Or something. Yes. Oh, yes. Nice. I, think, um, yeah. I also wrote down chickpea soup. With olive oil, you know, if you're if you're in the sort of you date like I'm not getting that. No, there's no, no need for that. <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that's, that's a bit too far even for me. Thinking about risottos, we did a cook along during lockdown, one of the lockdowns, with a celebrity chef. I can't remember who it was actually, but all the ingredients derived, 
And I just couldn't believe how much butter yeah. you put in oh, this yeah. risotto. Yeah. And he was like, right now we put the butter in. I was like, are you sure? That, that, that much? You just stir it. That's why it's so tasty, isn't it? Oh, it's so needy a risotto, though, isn't it? God, yeah. If you need a risotto for two minutes, it's like, oh, I'm done. Sorry, I'm burnt. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've got to be like, right, you've got to be on it. Yeah. It's a lot of tension. It'd be perfect for tonight, though, wouldn't it? The risotto. This is just oh, a sort of perfect. weather. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's it. It's a whole evening of preparation. And mm. it's, it's, you know, it's an it's event. A, it's a, it, yeah, it's a labour of love. <laughs> hey, will you be cooking at Christmas? Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> oh, what um, will you be cooking for the vegan and the vegetarian? It, well, it gets slightly more complicated because we are. I'm taking my children to my parents' house in Liverpool, and I mean they are 89 and 88 respectively, and I will have to do something that fits the bill for everybody. In a kitchen, I don't really know. Trying to keep my mother out of the way as, <laughs> as, as best I can, which I fear will not be all that easy. Well, my dad makes ham-fisted interventions and the children just probably resort to strong drink by the time <laughs> 10.30 rolls around. So I imagine if you can picture the scene at about half past four on Christmas afternoon, I will be bright red in the face, probably crying and trying to do something, whip up some magic with a vegan sausage wreath or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, nothing says Christmas like a vegan no, sausage wreath. No, literally nothing. That. Will you do all the, the shopping? Here and take it out. Well, that's a really good question, Will. And, and I don't want to get technical or bore people, but I, <laughs> I actually I did make a call earlier on to a, a restaurant in Liverpool, which mm. is actually brilliantly supplying Christmas hampers for people uh, in exactly my sort of situation. Yeah. So okay. I just have to get there, pick it up, and then everything should be in the hamper. So I'll let you know how it goes. If you cool. could, I really think you should post now. a picture I will. at midday okay. on, on Christmas Day, just, just so everybody here knows that it turned out all right. Well, the thing is, by the time Christmas Day rolls around, you know it will be all right, won't it? It's, I, I yes. start, yeah. My heart starts to, basically, everything starts to lighten for me when the shops close on Christmas Eve, because then you can do no more. Yeah. Um, and you will manage with whatever you have to hand the next day. And it's only a bloody roast dinner. Yes. <laughs> For God's that's sake, that's think. all it is. Get a grip, everybody. <laughs> yeah, my mum always gets very stressed. And this year I'm cooking for the first time and she keeps saying to me, she's like, oh, I'm very worried about your ham. And I'm like, yes. I'm not, don't worry about it. It's going to be yeah, fine. Well, it's just it's just dinner. She wants to meet my mother. They could have a conflab. Just telling, <laughs> just how useless their daughters are. <laughs> but we had um, Angela Hartley on the we podcast. We did. Who was saying that we don't do turkey this year. Do chicken, do two small chickens. And actually, I read Hugh Fernie Whittingstall agree, you know, echoing that. Well, I think the turkeys yeah. are very hard to get hold of, aren't yeah. they? Because yeah. of the they run very quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. so just do this two small chickens. Two small chickens. And I'm ham. escaping this year. So for the first time in 17 years, we're leaving the environment of Hackney in East London and going somewhere else for Christmas. And nice. I don't have to cook Christmas lunch which is the most weirdly liberating. I mean, we're, you know, when we, we're still, what are we, a week and a bit away, but Two I weeks. haven't had to worry. Jane's, Jane's had to worry for a very long time about the hamper, <laughs> yes. the size of the kitchen, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And it's actually the most extraordinary sense of release not to have that one meal, you know, yeah. hoving into view. It's mm. astonishing how much we worry about it for then what it is. And, <laughs> you know, hopefully... I don't know, does anybody in the room have people who genuinely would feel that their Christmas was terrible if the Christmas dinner wasn't perfect? I mean, I don't think, I don't no. think people do really, do they? 
I think, I think if you have anyone like that in your life, cut them out. Yes, mm. very just much. Make so. a decision yeah, now. Exactly. Say, look, just get rid of them. I appreciate you're my sister, but I don't think this is working out. I'll see you on Boxing yeah. Day. But also, now I'm going to be a guest in someone's house. There's no way I'm going to complain if it's oh, not. Oh, really? Yes, exactly. So why, you know, as the hostesses, we shouldn't be worrying so much as a young, Because my parents always used to cook and then plate up everything for everyone, like 16 round a table. And as a young boy, my job was to get my grandmother's, who always complained it was cold, and put it in the microwave for a minute. <laughs> it's Susie's first Christmas, so... so you, I'm not one. No, no, but it's your first Christmas face, Susie. Cheers. So, uh, so you seem very confident. So, yeah. Well, I just I, think... Well, I, I just agree. I just think it's a roast dinner. Yeah, it is. It, it is. I'm very excited. I, 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 it's the first time I've had a kitchen that's big enough to invite people round. Yeah, yeah, so it's very exciting. And I've got a, a toddler who is so confused about what Christmas is. It's very excited. I told her there's, where we live, there's a um, there's a windmill, and I we go there sometimes to have a little walk around. And we went up there the other day, and it was closed. And I thought oh, it's closed because it's winter. That's why it's closed. It will open again in the summer. And she said the winter's when Father Christmas comes. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And somehow in her little two and a half year old brain, she's now decided that Father Christmas lives in that windmill. So every time we go past, she's like, hi, Santa. But it is adorable. So I think that that's why I'm excited. It's less about cooking for everyone and more about... But because we all take ages to grow up now, I remember we only hosted our first Christmas about three or four years ago. And that's why I don't want to put them off. I was so stressed out about it. Oh, and I did a timetable of it. You know, you have yeah. to do a timetable of when everything's going to be ready. And was that fun for you, Will? <laughs> <laughs> Because the wine is easy, the easy part. Normally I just do the wine, just pour the cork. It was yeah. obviously delicious. Mm. Yeah, we'll all be all right. <laughs> A huge round of applause, please, for Thank C and J, our guest this evening. That's it from us. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Wine Times in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club. Produced by Anya Pierce and the series producer is Ben Mitchell. You can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Just do this via your favourite podcast app. We'll be back next week with more delicious wine and another great guest. Remember that all of the wines we tasted today are noted in the episode description and you can get your hands on all of them from the Sunday Times Wine Club website. From all of us, thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you next week for more Wine Times. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.